0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market. A New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And what a journey we're going to take today. We're going to be talking about Chinese cuisine. And you know, historians agree that as far back as oh, 3,000 years, China has had a fully developed cuisine. But they don't really agree or even mention what the cuisine was or what specific foods were used, although techniques are known and techniques are very important. And not only are techniques and ingredients very important, but names of dishes are very important. If you were offered a dragon and phoenix platter with magnolia slices, would you have any idea what you were eating? It all seems so mystical and so complicated, but here to demystify much of that is my good friend and Chinese cuisine scholar and cook, Ken Lamco. And Ken has just published a new book called Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees, Essential Techniques of Authentic Chinese Cooking. Welcome, Ken. This book, I know, is a long time coming, right?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me here.
1: My pleasure. Um, this book is, is is just so full of a beautiful pictures, but b <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful historic information, uh, cultural information, and most of all, ingredients, techniques, and yes, of course, recipes. Right. But my, well, I'm not. Talk- People can buy the book for the recipes and right. and all that other. Right. Because what I want from you is more information about that wonderful history and culture. In right. fact. You said in, in the beginning of the book that um, to understand Chinese cooking you need to understand the history and the diversity of the regions. Right.
2: I really believe that, you know, to understand the, the cuisine itself uh, completely, you need to look at the whole context. You need to understand where the food comes from and how it evolved over years and, you know, how it influences the uh, neighbor uh, neighboring uh, states and neighboring or even within China itself because China is so huge, even though the, um, the Chinese civilization really started in the, in the center part of, of the country uh, as we know now, which is Known as the Central Plain, but you know the influence um, spread out. It went uh, along uh, the Yangtze River to the, um, uh, uh, the the east coast of China, and then also further down to the southern coastal region of Fujian and Guangdong region. So it's it's uh, it, it is very interesting to see how that evolved, rather than just. And, uh, looking at a recipe, you, re, uh, you know it's 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 wonderful to be able to understand where the recipe comes from and mm. how it, it developed.
1: And of course, we know from ancient trade routes and the Silk Roads that foods and and ingredients, spices, and things were coming into the country and being exported out of the country. So there's, there was this total exchange.
2: Precisely. In fact, I really personally uh, think of Chinese food as being very cosmopolitan because of that. Um, uh, you know. The Silk Road is a great uh, way of transmitting, transporting a lot of the different ingredients and also transmitting a lot of the different techniques. Uh, for example, cumin and uh, the grilling. These are all uh, techniques that was brought in from uh, the Middle East uh, through the Silk Road. And of course, uh, a lot of the seafood uh, that the Chinese eat, for example, shark fins or the sea cucumbers, they all came from the southern coast, southern waters of uh, Southeast Asia, or even from India Ocean, because uh, many of these uh, uh, traders brought those uh, ingredients from the you know the seaport, and and then that brought into the central part of China.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, listen, I was listening to you were on a, a show. Um, one of our other hosts, Kathy Irway, um, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it made me smile because something that everyone thinks of as just being so Chinese were the, the hot red peppers.
2: Exactly, chili actually is from South America, and it was the um, a new Portug- world food. There, it's a, <laughs> exactly, it was a new old food that that the um, uh, you know Portuguese trader brought in, in the, during the 16th centuries, and that, that was uh, where. Uh, when it was first introduced, and it was adopted by the southern part of China because uh, you know the, the cuisine of uh, uh, southern China uh, has always been a lot more spicier. They've been exposed to many, uh, many of the Southeast Asian spices, so you know the chili bro- uh, somehow just was readily accepted and they blended into to their regular cuisine.
1: Right, yeah. which a lot of people misunderstand. They think the Sichuan peppercorns are are the heat. In-
2: C- correct the szechuan peppercorn actually um, you know provides you with this numbness when you when you when you uh, put it into your mouth but the spicy heat uh, still comes from uh, the chili and so the, that combination of the szechuan peppercorn and and chili is is an you know it's a really incredible sensation <laughs> yeah it, it really
1: is <laughs> and very addictive too <laughs> that's right that's right um, you know it's interesting you, because you you outlined an ancient banquet and I, you know, was older than Roman history, but I could have sworn that I was reading Roman history because the banquets, the the whole format of the banquet, as you said, hasn't really changed, and it's the same as you read in, in as I said in, in you know more Western civilization in mm-hmm. Roman history about banquets. It's
2: absolutely, uh, banquets, uh, you know, has been around for a long time, and and for the the very first rec- record of banquets uh, was uh, these... Uh, feast um, uh, just between the the interregnum period of Qing Dynasty and Han Dynasty, and during that feast itself, um, the, you know the whole uh, text described who sits at what location, and also uh, what was what was served and. You know, uh, so it was a, it was an incredible record because because now we can actually go back and figure out like two, three thousand years ago what right. what it was like uh, being in uh, in, a, in, a, in a in a banquet. But
1: they had yeah. a first course and Correct. a second course and a meat Correct. and a fish and right. finished with fruit. I mean, you know, n- what has changed really? Not a not lot. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, in you uh, another thing that you said in the you know to sort of fill people in about thinking the, their way. I think it's we have to change the mindset about how people think of Chinese cuisine. And, and you actually said that people don't think of European cuisine as being one entity. Obviously, we have French cuisine and Italian cuisine and so forth. Well, so it is with China, right? Correct. correct. China is so
2: huge. Um, you know, and, and the the local ingredients are so diverse that, um, you know, each region developed their own um, uh, type of cooking uh, although many of the techniques were actually very similar uh, but, you know, they adapted to um, the um, local ingredients and local, uh, local taste uh, as far as spices and, and herbs are concerned, they're all uh, you know, very often are very local um, but the techniques is basically the same and it's the same thing as in european cooking i believe um, you know there's slice dice and right. fry or boil right there's there's <laughs> a whole set of standard techniques but you know each region has their own um, adaptation of that technique and you know i think uh, this is what a lot of people don't understand china has the same diversity uh, Uh, Unless you understand all those diversity, really you're not going to be able to understand the full impact of Chinese cooking. Right.
1: I mean, I think um, many people, a lot of people, most people know a difference between, let's say, Cantonese cooking and and Sichuan cooking. But you do a fabulous job in, in this new book of really going through each region and describing the region, describing the cuisine. How many regions... Are we talking about where, who, and who's decided on right. these
2: regions? Well, you know, I um, when I was uh, writing the the, uh, the section on regional Chinese cooking, I was struggling with the idea of what I should include um, because uh, there is this whole concept of the eight major uh, eight major cuisine of China, and eight, in, so eight according eight, to eight
1: regions, right? uh,
2: according to eight regions, right? Mm-hmm. right. But that was basically established, um, like in the late um, 18th century, uh, early 19th century, when uh, people would, you know, would just. Aware of the Han cooking, which is one of the uh, one of the ethnicity in in China, and that's the majority uh, ethnicity in China, and so all these eight cuisines are really just the Han cooking, but doesn't include all the minorities around the uh, western part, the southern part, uh, and even the northern part. Um, However, when I when I started writing this, I decided that you know um, I will use that as the basis uh, because it did make sense um, uh, during the you know early nineteenth centuries. And then I go from there and and talk about some of the other development within those regions. And plus, I added a few other, like for example, the uh, um, Hainan cooking and also the uh, Yunnan cooking, simply because they are uh, they are very popular in Asia and people know about those cuisines. But you know, we don't know about it in here in America or in Western Europe. Um, and I decided that that way, you know, uh, I'm showing the diversity a lot more than just including just the eight uh, the uh, major cuisines all right and i didn't I decided not to include a lot of the minorities simply because first of all i don't even understand it myself. a
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's a large region to just <laughs> study well not only that but you but you relate so many of the um the names the types of dishes and the styles of cuisines to the the many different dynasties which go back, so how many years? Uh, uh, you know, four, four, four thousand. Four year, thousand years. Yeah. Right. yeah right, um, right. So that, but those have pretty much. That is pretty standard. The what is related to which dynasty?
2: Um, you know, the truth is, we really don't know what exactly was served <laughs> during that time. The only thing that we can uh, determine from the records is from tombs' records. Uh, tomb records, ah. and uh, you know these are all archaeological sites that uh, people have uh, dug up, and from those sites, you you we um, you know people find um, the cooking utensils, and they also find uh, uh, you know uh, records, for example, in the tombs of, of inventories of ingredients and inventories of um, you know cooking utensils and so on. So those so we're only able to determine that there's a particular type of cooking vessel, plus a different type of ingredients, but we don't really know exactly how yeah. it was made.
1: Well, of course, they must have been <laughs> boiling the meat, right? <laughs> right.
2: But actually, uh, boiling and steaming, we, we almost uh, we can almost always say that that is definitely um, uh, two of the very basic ingredients because we um, the uh, you know, archaeological finds uh, found cauldrons uh, and and so we know that has uh, and also there's descriptions of uh, food in some of the uh, uh, old texts that talks about you know um, boiling meat and and, and certain root vegetables in, in 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 liquid, so we know that 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 problem exists uh, and in fact one of the tech, uh uh Terms that's that's been used since 4000 years ago is called gong and gong actually really means uh, boiling to in you know meat into it but now in 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 the modern um, uh, interpretation of that gung actually has become a uh, soup that's been thickened. So if you're if you served like um, a, uh, a corn with chicken soup uh, and it's like a thickened uh, uh, silky kind of soup, that's usually is it's known gone. as gung, right? Uh-huh. So we do have a, a few of this, this term that has um, in reti- been retained over th- uh, over years. And, um, and also steaming is, uh, is very common during that time because we were able to actually find a utensil that, that looks like um, a, a layers of, of steamers with, with perforation at the bottom. But what, what they didn't find is the cover. They, didn't, they, uh, they were not able to find any cover. They would cover those. Mm-hmm. So the speculation was that the covers were actually made from wood or bamboo. Yeah.
1: And or that's even large rock. Who knows? Well...
2: <laughs> um, I don't know. Yes, yeah, no. you have, <laughs> that's true. You, you don't we, know. we don't know. Yeah. But that, the speculation was that it was probably uh, um, a wood, yeah. a wood that you know didn't survive thousands of years. So right. that was that was one of the um, speculations.
1: Interesting. <laughs> well, you relate a, a beautiful story about your travels and your visit to uh, Chen- the, this little village of Khan, talking about these you know these old techniques? Uh, tell us uh, that about that Chenkan, yes
2: that is a beautiful little village that I visited uh, near this uh, mountain called Huangsan and um, it was an a, a village that's been uh, uh, designated as a you know um, United Nations historical uh, preservation uh, region and so everything there is preserved uh, sort of almost like the time stood still and, you know, you can go back and see what it was like um, probably about 200 years ago because that was when, uh, uh, you know, that village was very actively, quote-unquote, developed. Mm -hmm. Um, But
1: people are still living there. People are still
2: living there. People Mm -hmm. are still living there, right, Exactly. Um, And, you know, what struck me when I went into the kitchen in one of these houses was that it is so simple. Uh, All there is is this this little stove. It's a brick stove with two holes. um, And below the holes are uh, uh, wood-burning, you know, uh, fires. And uh, on those two holes were um, uh, woks. And above it, you see this little uh, exhaust. Uh, again, it was uh, you know just sort of like a brick-built uh, um, hole with with a slight um, angle, so you know to bring in uh, to to exhaust the smoke out. And that was it. It's as far as the kitchen itself. And then and then it, you know, I looked at the utensil. Basically, there was just one. Uh, there are two woks on the stove, and it's one of the wok has steamers in it, and the other one is just open, so that you know you can stir fry. So basically, you're just steaming and stir frying and the wok can also be used for braising um, and actually the smoke above the stove can actually be used for smoking, smoking. Ah. so it was all in one you know uh, facility you can do all those uh, different techniques mm-hmm. and I was Amazed,
1: uh, and th- you said you walked outside and you saw a big pot. <laughs>
2: yes, I walked outside, morning. and I, I um, uh, the only thing that was really interesting. I walked out there was a little garden at the back, um, and I walked outside and I saw this uh, little stove, wood stove, with a. Um, um, Pot of rice cooking, and interestingly enough, it's the, the pot itself was uh, the insert of those um, uh, rice cooker, modern rice oh. cooker that we <laughs> that we see. But yet yeah, it's sitting on <laughs> right multi-purpose. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to talk about more about this with uh, my guest Ken Lamco, and also about some of those enigmatic names of the dishes and how we got them. When we come back after a short break, so stay with us.
0: You better do what you want When you get up in the morning Cause it won't be long Before you're dead and gone, dead and gone. No, there ain't no telling.
1: okay and i'm back talking with ken lamco and he has a brand new book really brand new book out called phoenix claws and jade trees essential techniques of authentic chinese cooking and the title of the book ken is is very interesting mm-hmm. phoenix claws and jade trees and and um so interesting to a lot of people think hmm, what is he talking about but not only that you've you wrote a paper and presented it at the Oxford Symposium this past summer, um, the Oxford Symposium on Food History. And it is exactly that, although you don't call it Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees, that's the book, but uh, Dragon on a Platter, That's <laughs> right. The Art of Naming Chinese Dishes. These names are, I mean, General So's Chicken or Kung Pao Chicken, all these very strange names right. that come up. and. And not real, until you really eat them or read a description of them, people have no idea what what it is on the menu. Tell me about that.
2: Right. Well, you know, um, many of these names really originated from the, um, the, the palaces of the Chinese the dynasties. Um, you know, food and culture and poetry and, you know, scholars, they're all sort of mingled together right. uh, during mm. that period uh, uh the the general population don't really have uh this exquisite type of dining and so on so that's why there's a lot of um scholars actually named these dishes for the most part and and sort of very often they come up with very very flowery very um, poetic poetic yeah, yeah definitely. and so this, uh, you know not only that, uh, the dish name itself, but the ingredients. And, in fact, you know, because of the fact some of the ingredients were, were very um, poetic, and when you put them together into a name, it becomes very poetic. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, we talked about uh, phoenix claws in Chinese cooking. Uh, cooking phoenix claws really uh, re- represents chicken feet. And, mm, how, uh,
1: much, how much <laughs> better it sounds. I know, it makes it claws. a lot more
2: appetizing, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> So, um, I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, for, uh, for most Chinese growing up, uh, we're familiar with all this time because that's what it's always been called. You know, you go to a restaurant, if somebody, someone says, oh, let's have some braised uh, phoenix claws, you know what it is. It's braised chicken feet. Um, and uh, dragon is also very commonly used to represent um, uh, lobster or, or shrimp sometimes. Uh, but was,
1: and- da- was the dragon uh, one of the... Um wasn't that one of the the main themes of one of the dynasties? A dragon? Well,
2: dragon has always been uh, uh, the symbol of the emperor. So, uh-huh. oh, right. so In right, the Chinese so New Year all, celebrations, correct, right. All all dynasties, there, the, the, all the emperors, uh, you know. Usually, I mean, dragon usually represent um, the emperor, and then phoenix usually represent uh, the empress. So, uh, so very often, you know, if you if you go to a, an official um, a banquet or something, you know, dragon and phoenix are always there, and and always <laughs> present. They're always present. Are, they're always <laughs> present. So o- often, you know, what that that means is that you'll actually end up with either lobster or shrimp, and then you have a chicken uh, chicken uh, as phoenix. Uh, but yeah, these are these are these are. Uh, um, you know, representation of ingredients, but at the same time, there are dishes that um, uh, are poetic because simply because they are served for a very specific reason. Um, um, that um, you know, for an auspicious uh, purpose of a, of a birthday party or a wedding or something. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, one of the very interesting item is uh, for for a wedding. There's a a sweet soup. Dish called, um, uh, which really means, uh, you know, wishing for, uh, an offspring very quickly, very soon. <laughs> and that's what it, it the, 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 name means. But in order to create the dish, uh, you know, uh, the, all the, the four characters which for, zi was broken apart and, Zao, which actually rhymes with, um, uh, Chinese, uh, jujubes, you know, the mm-hmm. red jujubes. Song actually is, uh, uh, and it also rhymes with huaseng, which is the um, peanut, and uh, kui is uh, it rhymes again with the um, um, uh, dried uh, longan. Uh, so, uh, and finally, zi, which is zi, which uh, um, um, also often uh, used to represent uh, you know fertility, is uh, lotus seeds. So then you take four of these ingredients together and create this uh, dessert, the sweet dessert. And it's become a dish called zao san gui to you know wish for an early uh, offspring. <laughs> and,
1: and, and I would assume that most people are aware of the significance of of these symbols and dishes over the years. But, I mean,
2: correct, because this is such a such a common item now that you know you go to a bank uh, a wedding. Uh, a party or a wedding you know celebration somewhere almost always there would be one of these dishes comes up and people know about it right, right. yeah so
1: what well, you were um, on the show with me oh, it was about three years ago, I oh, think. Ago, now, ago, yeah, yes. <laughs> and um, it was it was for Chinese New Year, New Year. We were talking about right the mm-hmm. dishes and celebrations of Chinese New Year, and that too has a significance. Absolutely,
2: sort of- um, you know the 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 so called New Year cake that usually we served during Chinese New Year is called Nian Gao, and Nian actually means sticky, uh, and Gao is cake. So. Um, you know, when you put those two together, because Nian also sounds like a year or a New Year, um, then you know, those sticky rice cake becomes a New Year cake. Huh. So um, yeah, we talked about that, and it's it's yeah, and it's this fair, is part it? of the whole um, custom of Chinese naming their dishes uh, as a as a you know uh, an auspicious uh, item or
1: so that is really the the homophonic that's um, correct that's uh, correct. name yeah. of a dish, and then correct. there are the symbolic ones like the long. Noodle for longevity. Correct.
2: Correct. And
1: then there's just that metaphysical, beautiful, poetic um, name that we give them. But you mentioned that um, often the dishes are named um, for plant, animal, or a precious jewel. Correct. And, and so emerald, we hear a lot of emerald.
2: Emerald is, is very commonly used, um, anything that's green, you know, so, so you can, in fact, you could have possibly like, say, um, a green celery or something, then, you know, we would call a dish emerald because you have a, a green item in it. Um, jade is also right. commonly used. The jade trees The jade being trees being, yeah. Uh, broccoli. Uh, bro- right. Chinese broccoli. Um and uh, you know uh, pearl is used a lot as well um, for example there's uh, there 's a dish which is uh uh, beef ball or meat, uh, meatballs with um, uh, sticky rice uh, 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 covering the whole thing, and we call it the, the pearl studded meatballs. Pearl studded uh, meatball. so, right. so it was like, you know, the, uh, it's just very poetic. It has this wonderful, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, implication when you just read the name.
1: Even the techniques have uh, a couple of them that I can think of offhand have very poetic, very. Um, Beautiful sounding, tech, like velvet, The technique of velveting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you think of velvet, obviously, and it, it's fuzzy, soft to the touch. Exactly, mm-hmm. and and that, but that is a specific technique. That is right? a
2: specific technique for for stir frying. Um, you know, you know uh, what what we do is we uh, would marinate the meat with a combination of starch and wine and sometimes with a little bit of egg white, egg white yeah. and uh, those combinations when you coat the meat and then you quickly uh, you know, cook, cook it through like a, either oil or water it becomes this beautiful, silky, uh, velvety cover on a, on the meat before you stir fry, and after you've done that, then you stir fry with you know um, the aromatics and other vegetable ingredients and so on. But mm. that particular technique itself really is a, a wonderful way of sealing meat, yet also providing this.
1: Nice, smooth, uh, silky texture on the outside. To velvet the chicken sounds so much nicer than dredge the chicken, <laughs> the chicken. <laughs> and dredge it in a bowl of egg and, and flour. Right, right. Um, I, and I'm trying to think of what other techniques might have some poetic names. But um, that is just—it's such a, as you said, the cooking culture. It, it was all—they all mingled. They all sat around and mingling together. So these these things were all given very. Um, Poetic yes. names, interesting, yes. mm.
2: um, and also some of the names uh, of Chinese dishes uh, uh, you can tell from what what is the cut of the, um, the ingredients because uh, I mean I don't know if if any of the uh, uh, you know listeners are aware of Mugu Kai Pan, for example. You know, the the pan in the end actually means that the, the chicken is sliced thinly, so it's a, it's a specific type of slices, um, and chicken almond ding, the ding is actually means that you, you cube it or you dice it into large cubes uh, of about, you know, three-quarter of an inch. Uh, and so very often, even with the name itself, you can tell already what the dish is going to look like um, with all this... Um, Poetic and flowery description of it as well. Right, right. (laughs)
1: Interesting. So, I mean, if you don't necessarily want to learn all the techniques and learn the recipes, just by reading the book, you will be able to read a Chinese recipe or a Chinese menu much more easily. Right. uh, Because, as you say, it it describes how it's cut. Oh, I see. That's why I've got the little chopped up chicken, right? That's right. Or the uh, mushu, you know. Right. Mushu gaipan. Right. All those different techniques it is it i'm i'm there's so much in this book and i don't i don't want people to think that it's only just a history book of course it's not um it's just that i that's the part that i enjoy of course um it is so much wonderful technique that really makes chinese cooking so approachable
2: yes i think the the purpose of this book really um is I, you know the book is not for um, an, uh, Chinese cooking every day it 's really for Chinese cook, cook, uh, food enthusiasts who really want to understand the technique and it. It gives in um, uh, a you know, very detailed step by um, step definition of what each techniques uh, are, and um, you know hopefully with understanding the technique th- you can then be creative or be innovative with it. After right. you know once you know the technique, then you know you can adapt to your own um, flavor or you adapt to your own local ingredients. Because I do understand that you know not not. Uh, uh, everywhere uh, you can find the, the kind of exotic ingredients that you that that is required for chinese cooking but you know, it, it can be adapted, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right, you know. and
1: in today's markets, I mean, there are so many international markets that where these ingredients are available mm-hmm. true years you ago, can, it was not.
2: Right, and you can also mail order many of these right. items. Right. 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 right, right.
1: Well, I just want to congratulate you on a beautiful job. A beautiful Thank book, you. That contains, for my interest, so much history, so much background, and descriptive um, uh, detail, as well as the actual physical techniques and, and recipes. Phoenix claws and jade trees. Now you know what you're eating. Phoenix claws and jade trees. Okay, <laughs> We've demystified that one for you. As always, a pleasure. Kian Lemco. thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I've been your host, Linda Palaccio, on A Taste of the Past.